Welcome to the Addiction Connection. We like to believe the opposite of addiction is actually connection, and we are going to attempt to educate you and possibly even entertain you while we navigate all topics addiction. Hi, I'm Dr. Kirk Devine. And I'm Dr. Heather Bell, and we both provide primary care and addiction services. It's our goal to help you learn more about the disease of addiction and its treatments. Welcome back to the Addiction Connections COVID series number 38. And uh, that sounded really cool. I was just thinking I should try to mute you. Just yeah. do this myself. So we started, uh, we started this ECHO course as usual uh, with Dr. Jerrica Burge. And she's the University of Minnesota professor and vice chair of research. And uh, she has only missed one of these ECHOs where she had a stand-in. I think I she think was gone. two. Yeah, she's... Oh, whatever. She's as reliable as the wind. All right. So they're looking at a study in Smiley's Clinic in southwest Minneapolis to assess the Somali community for increased risk and suspicion of having COVID. Yeah. And they, had a, they have a study that really is really looking into focusing on contact tracing, providing resources, and addressing stigma and whether or not that uh, has much to do with their courses. So it's kind of an interesting little, a little study they got going. And... Uh, Again, a lot of the studies that she's talked about, we are hoping at some time at the end, maybe she'll even have a whole echo where she shows results for all of these different studies. At the end, meaning there's going to be an end. Uh, yeah. <laughs> uh, it okay. could be yours, but anyway, we don't have enough money to keep going. Stop delaying. Yeah, if anyone wants to donate to this fund. Anyway, so Dr. Mike Osterholm, our good friend Mike. Yeah, and he likes to be go. He likes to go by Mike. We have difficulty calling him Mike. Although I did once, and you did once. And, I did, uh, and then he called me Heather. And he I called you that Heather, cool. <laughs> so it's like you're his friend. Uh, well, he, yeah. He called me Kurt too. So I was, yeah. I guess that's we're on a first name basis. That's because you're, you know, his peer. To be clear, he has his own podcast, uh, which is very popular. So feel free to check that out. I uh, talked about that a little bit, uh, but he actually started out with uh, talking about how. We are in both the best best of times and worst of times, and uh, and boy, isn't that true? So yeah, the whole best of times is that this vaccine is coming, which is, he stated, a modern medical miracle, um, and how fast it can be delivered. But the problem is, is you know, you still got to convince people to do it. But the worst of times is obvious, because we're having COVID holidays. Yes, and we've had three hundred thousand deaths in the U.S., so that's the worst of times. Yeah. So. He talked a little bit about. Uh, so I saw a thing. I don't know. Go ahead and interrupt me. <laughs> yeah, but there was this thing that talked about you know the most deadly days in U.S. history, and last Tuesday, last Thursday, last Wednesday, last Friday are all in top of the top eight. Are in the top like they're in the top eight. So half of the deadliest days in U.S. history have happened in the last two weeks. I need to see that data. So. <laughs> Okay. Anyway. Okay. So, yeah, convincing people to get the vaccine so this can all be over and, you know, we can stop. You know, we can try to find normal again. Who knows when that's going to be. Um, you know, he did talk about this Minnesota as well as all of our states that touch us and how there's been decreases in cases. Why? It's hard to say because, yeah, Minnesota, we had this secondary pause. He didn't like the word lockdown. So secondary pause the surrounding states did not. However, man, Wisconsin had a ton of deaths today, so I don't hmm. stay tuned. The Midwest—it's almost like the the coast had this huge thing early, 
kind of leveled. Now weed in the Midwest just exploded, and now we're kind of leveling, and looks like the coasts are going to come back. Yeah, and he didn't really feel like we've ever really been in a lockdown. A lockdown's like in China when you leave your house and you won't go back in. They shut your door and weld it shut. That's a lockdown. We've never had anything quite that extensive. So Okay, so yeah, we've had a decrease here in the Midwest nationally, not so much. Yeah, and you know, the beds in, in the U.S., of course, are pretty full. Uh, in some states, actually, uh, ICU beds pretty pretty hard to come by or non-existent. So it's not like even though the Midwest is doing okay, it's not like the rest of the U.S. is doing as well, sadly. Right. And I think one of the things he talked about that I found really interesting is this pandemic fatigue, because I think we all feel it. Well, and, you know, he mentioned, of course, these big cities, New York, Chicago, Detroit, and I can only imagine what it's like to be in those cities during this, especially in the healthcare system. I can't imagine. Yeah. There's just so many people. And and I think we all see these people. I see these patients that say, I'm over it. I'm just not, I'm just doing whatever I want anymore. I can't take it. Mm-hmm. And that would be pandemic fatigue. And bad. Um, so then we talked a little bit about essential workers. He said 37% of the workforce are essential workers, but what does essential workers mean? I mean, there's so many things if you think about that is so essential. Um, but yet 78% of the population is still working. So it's, it's really hard to say how you pause anything or shut anything down when Everybody's essential to somebody in a way. Well, I think the other thing he was trying to say is that really only 37% of the population is essential workers, but yet 78% of the population was still working. So we got a lot of people working that probably should have just been at home. Although, does this count in the data of the people who are still working, but they're working from home? That's a good point, but you just muddied the waters that looked so clear I mean, previously. It just seemed a little bit. Mm-hmm. Um, so, you know, Europe has actually continued to keep a lot of the brakes on, which the U.S. did not. And a lot of that, of course, like just talking about the differences even within the Midwest. But then there's been major increases again in different in different states. The, the South especially, they've had some more um, upticks just because of not having breaks or pauses on anything. Yeah. And I think that, uh, you know, Europe, of course, they had a little different thing going where they'd locked down for a while and then all of a sudden decided, let's just ease things. And then, of course, everything went back to back to bad. And so they've, that's, I think, driven a lot of the big outbreaks up in, out in Europe. Why don't sadly. you talk about Sweden since you just love this? I love that whole thing with Sweden, and here's why. I, I had a family member who... Uh, who kind of brought up Sweden and said, look, they're just letting everybody run around, do their own thing, and they're going to get herd immunity. They're going to be way ahead of us. And uh, unfortunately, then they started to lead the entire world in deaths uh, per population. So uh, it didn't work out quite as well as they thought. And in fact, Finland, Denmark, and Norway, as pointed out by Mike Osterholm, have closed their borders to the Swedes. They won't let those people out. Hmm. They're making them stay home. Don't cross our borders. <laughs> no. Um, you know, and if you look back at, at Mike here, you know, he predicted this huge pandemic decades ago or whenever, and he kind of had made all these predictions that didn't earn him many brownie points um, in favor of many anybody early on and had actually at one point said there's going to be 200,000 cases per day by Thanksgiving. And nobody loved that, although he was spot on, like darn near exact. Yeah. Pretty, Isn't that crazy how he can do that? Yeah, and then it just kept on going. Kept on up to going. to 300,000. So, 
Yeah. So I think one of the things is that, especially early on, you know, especially in Minnesota, when we had our first kind of initial blurb of blurb, I don't know what you want to call it, like the thing on the radar where we had like this huge uptick of cases, although nothing compared to now where all the people were dying. Those are all nursing home and long-term care people. Um, and so I think a lot of people, especially when you look at that, think this the only people who die are the elderly or people in long-term care. And somehow that makes that okay. And I think you could feel that sentiment from a lot Mike of Osterholm. Mm-hmm. He was like, that's just not right. Correct. And but it's not uh, even true. No, it's not. These, these people are people. So if they're older, we can't just say, oh, if it's just killing old people, then it's all right. That's my grandma. I was thinking you because you are. Well, and grandma. he point, you know, he did point this out. He said, "I'm getting older," and I believe he's a couple years older than I am. Um, and yeah, what is old? I don't know. It's it's sixty and above, which would put me. I mean, looking at him, he looks like a decade younger than you. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> okay, I'm sorry. This this data was very interesting to me. So, if you look at just COVID by the end of December, they're anticipating the life expectancy is going to be reduced 1.4 years. Just from COVID. In the U.S. In the U.S. If you look at, you know, our bread and butter, the opioid epidemic, the peak of the opioid epidemic, we lowered the life expectancy by 0.1 years. So this is way higher than that. Yeah. And if you look at the HIV epidemic pandemic from the 80s, that lowered the life expectancy 0.3 years. So this is not influenza. Yeah, and you know, probably the biggest drop we've ever seen in life expectancy in the U.S. was World War II, when we had a bunch of 20-year-old people who unfortunately uh, succumbed uh, during the war. So this is huge. Well, and I think this is the whole data against this is only of elderly people, because if that was the case, this wouldn't change all that much. You know, young people have to be dying to pull that curve. Yeah, a lot of them are in the 40s and 50s. Right. Young people. So we've currently lost about 12 years of public health gain. I don't exactly understand what that terminology meant. What that means is 12 years ago, we are now back to the life expectancy of 12 years ago because every year oh, sure. the life mm-hmm. expectancy goes up because Just of the hair. increased technology, better treatments, better doctors. Which or, is, I came to be a doctor right about that 12-year mark. So, I mean, so obviously huge gains. Of that, yeah. <laughs> um, but this I want to just throw in there with the better um, advance in technology, because he said had this hit at 1918 when the, the horrible 1918 influenza pandemic was, this would be... A lot more people. Oh, my gosh. Out. Can you imagine? Just Yeah. Yeah. Of course, anyway. Back then, there was no ventilators, really. Well, that and like the spread, and you couldn't have done all this new vaccine technology. It would have been like literally, we're just going to wait it out and see who's left. Mm-hmm. And I think okay. one of the Depression. things that, that we've all talked about, and actually, you get a lot of a lot of people who will say to you, um, you know, they're counting all these people dying from COVID who were in car accidents. Uh, and actually, it's not exactly true, but I think that the 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 kind of the indirect costs of life are very similar to the story that Dr. Ostholm. Uh, told about a guy waiting to be transferred, having a heart attack, who eventually died from that heart attack because there was no hospitals that could take him. And clearly that's indirectly caused by our COVID pandemic. Um, You know, I saw a person in the clinic in the last few days that had COVID a month and a half ago and is still having problems, and it will probably not end well for him. So many of these deaths are also delayed. Which Uh, we'll talk about at the very end with his analogy. I just thought it was super cool. Yeah, so... 
All right. Um, so, you know, Thanksgiving. Thanksgiving and Christmas, of course, this is a huge thing. Um, you know, like I said at the beginning, this is COVID holidays this year. Stay home. Sorry. You know, Zoom with your family. It's just awful and sad, especially this many months into this thing. We don't want to have to do that. But sadly, if you look at 2019, so last year at Thanksgiving was the highest traveled Thanksgiving ever. This year was almost as high based on transportation data, blah, blah, blah. So Christmas, what they're predicting based on transportation stuff that they're, you know, can guess ahead of time is also very close to what normal would be for Christmas. So this is scary, people. Um, Everyone's still traveling and... Just stay home. Just stay home, which is, again, sad. But, um, you know, he told a story about how for 35 years he's told his kids and our grandkids the read the Polar Express story to them every year, and this is the first time he's not able to do that. It's going to be via Zoom, which I think we're all getting Zoom fatigue. I certainly am. <laughs> yeah. And Running so, on a green screen idea. Uh, yeah, a lot, lot less uh, variability. But, yeah, so I think that, you know, it was really a nice personal story told how, you know, he's he's taking that step really to protect himself, and I think that, he can't be around the other people who can't be in the bubble, right? So if you got families with kids who are doing school, they're not in a bubble. So us on the edge aged people. You're working in a clinic. You're not in a bubble. Okay, I'm not in a bubble. <laughs> uh, but I think that, you know, we've got to somehow limit our, our transmission. All right. So, so on to vaccines again. So, yes, he, he talked about vaccines much like Dr. Hick. But, of course, we've got a week more of, of data and talking and looking at this situation. And his only concern is that a lot of the people might not be getting their vaccines till really later in the summer. Mm-hmm. You know, it's all the healthcare workers, the elderly that are going to get it first. And, and it actually kind of goes down the line. So uh, the average soul may not get one till June. Yeah. So, and you know, there was, there's again, a lot of questions about pregnant women and it stated that there's about 330,000 pregnant healthcare workers in our country right now. And so what do you do about these women? And he said that the experts don't believe that it's harmful to pregnant women. And actually ACOG has already taken a stance. And if for ACOG to take a stance this early recommending the virus or the vaccine, excuse me, is huge. And again, this is that whole risk benefit thing, um, you know, for these pregnant healthcare workers. Yeah. And when we look long term, you know, is the vaccine going to eliminate COVID-19? Well, it might eliminate it a lot in the U.S., but what about the countries who can't afford or get these vaccines to the people that need them? And he kind of talked like, well, we're going to have this continual movement of COVID-19 in those types of countries, and it'll just cross borders again. Well, and I think a lot of that is, again, maybe in 1918, it would have been better. There wasn't as much travel. Yeah. Um, and so it's it's all the travel that people do. It's going to continue to move around. And, you know, I did ask the question about when can we expect the vaccine to have done its job, and we'll kind of get to this in a little bit. But, yeah, there is no perfect prediction unless you could predict the future. Yeah. And, of course, the other big question is what about kids? Kids and the vaccine. 16 and under. Uh. Yeah, hasn't been done yet. So um, we're hoping that there'll be more data next year. And it was on the news tonight, actually. Yeah. At the University of Minnesota, they're taking kids 12 to 16. So unfortunately, every one of my kids doesn't qualify. And, you know, doing trials with that age group next. You should just so. volunteer your kids. 
What the heck? My oldest is not 11 yet. Well, we got to try it. <laughs> I know. Somebody had to get the first one. I'll volunteer every single one of them. <laughs> so anyway, so we're hoping that that data comes out within the year um, on the kids under 16. So stay tuned for that. Yeah, and one of the most common asked questions we've had is, well, what if I've already had COVID? Do I have to get that shot, Dr. Bell? Yeah, sadly. Um, at some point, and again, it's th- not only is that the question, but then when should you get the shot? You know, should you get it at the end of the line? So in a year, should you, if you're a healthcare worker, should you get it in six months? We don't know. That's the question or the answer. And does it matter how severe your COVID was the first time? But Dr. Osterholm, sorry, Mike, Mike, personally knows of 28 cases of people that got their second infection. Interesting, because remember when you had that case mm-hmm. yeah. months and months ago and everyone laughed at you and said you can't get COVID twice? Yeah. You were ahead of your time like Mike. Yeah, that was in March, and I had a lady. Be like Mike. Yeah, who had uh, about eight weeks apart, got sick twice, same symptoms. Right. Uh, Now, sure, PCR was positive both times, and that could just be, you can still have a PCR a month out. That you're spreading, But she actually got better, went back to work, got sick exactly the same. It was crazy. He said the typical second infection in most of these cases were about four months later, not that two weeks, but it is possible um, to get it again. I should have told Mike about this one. Then he'd had 29. (laughs) He wasn't involved in it. Oh, that's true. um, So the the next question came, well, if everybody in the family has had COVID, is it okay to still get together for the holidays? Mm. He said it's maybe safer, but proceed with caution. And it would have to be every single family member would have had to have a positive case because even a person maybe who's had it could still maybe transmit it or had a weak case or who knows. So it's just very, very, um, it's still important to be very, very cautious. Kurt seems to have lost his papers. So I have lost my marbles. So, you know, there was this podcast he did. We had talked about his podcast and this whole, um, the last inch. And really he talked about this whole operation warp speed. This does not mean that there were any shortcuts taken. There was nothing that wasn't followed. Warp speed means that there was money (laughs) and they could do it quickly. And there were people who all wanted it done. So it got done very fast in many areas. Um, and there have been other vaccines, very similar or that had the same oversight as other vaccines. But that's the push is that we needed to get this out and quickly. Well, and I think one of the interesting things about that is how he was saying that all of the different phases of the trial were actually taking place at the same time. Right. To speed it up. And so if something went wrong with the phase four part that they were doing, the whole thing came apart. Right. So it's uh, it was a little different way of doing things, but uh, to get this at warp speed... I want to interview some of these researchers, the ones that like developed this and all of a sudden fourth stage didn't work. Start over. Oh my gosh. Can you imagine? Deep underground labs. You can't get to them. No, because they didn't want to get sick. They don't even have sun there. Anything anything else? um, You know, I will mention, because we kind of said we would mention this, that there have been other mRNA vaccines. So the similar um, vaccine type as COVID um, you, Zika is one of them, some cancer vaccines, although Zika has actually not yet been FDA approved. It is used in Africa or somewhere. Uh, well, were there three cases of Zika in the whole U.S.? I don't know. It was like... It was like, stressful. I was pregnant and went to Florida during Zika, which was a no It was no like no, millions of, millions and millions spent on that, and I can't remember. I never saw a case. 
Okay. <laughs> okay. But, but <laughs> compliance. Compliance uh, is the issue. Mike talked about the the last inch. Do you remember that? I think Kurt was looking for his paper when I talked about that. Oh my God! Did I miss that when you I was did. looking for my? But paper? you can proceed. No, I just thought it was really interesting how, you know, this whole part about compliance for the shots, and there was something done in Brazil, and they're they're thinking it's going to take seventy five percent at least to to get the herd immunity to slow it down. So, and again, the herd immunity doesn't mean that doesn't mean total of people vaccinated plus total of people who had the infection because. They don't really know how long those antibodies last if you've had the infection. So I think yeah. that's a gray zone. So it's getting the public to realize this is safe. Yep. So the key is get the immunization, stay in your bubble. So the one thing I saw, and this is not in this talk, about the mRNA vaccine is there's none of those preservatives. There's none of those weird modulator things that are in some of the other vaccines that people always worry about, which are, of course, safe. But... This is one of the cleanest, most straightforward vaccines there is. It literally is an mRNA vaccine. Although they do say if you've had a history of anaphylaxis, you need to read what's in there and make sure that there's nothing in there that you're really allergic to. I don't know if you saw that. I did, but there's like literally nothing in there. Like There's very, very, very few. As long as there's not omeprazole, I'm okay. (laughs) Anyway... I thought this data was interesting. So if you're looking at New York, 25 to 40% of people in New York have had COVID. Although Minnesota's numbers have been going up, it's still only been 15 to 20% of Minnesota has had COVID. Mm, only half. What? Only half as much as New York. Well, like, no, we're at like a fifth. <laughs> yeah. So yeah. he put a plug in, and so we have to re-plug it. And we he, he can. It's Mike. Yeah, we just, he said he needed to put a plug in. We're like... Go knock yourself out. So he started this foundation um, in Minnesota slash across the U.S. It's kind of taken up everywhere. It's called Frontline Families Foundation. And so this is raising money for healthcare workers' families. Yeah, who died from COVID. Correct. So, so yesterday, um, feel free to. There was this ER doc, up. one of the first healthcare workers in the country, severe illness. This doctor had, he died yesterday after having this for like months. It was a big deal. Sad. So how about this new administration coming in? Because Dr. Oswald made it quite clear he is not political. No, he, he said he's worked for everybody. He works for anybody, doesn't matter who they are, what party they're in. He really thinks that this, at least kind of looking into the future, that they're going to rely, and he quote, this is a quote, reliance on science, the currency to which decisions will be made. And so... You know, the whole let's all stand behind Fauci. I mean, we're, we're standing behind science when it comes to COVID. Progressing in, in getting out of COVID, I should say. Science is the key. There you go. Don't break the bubble. Fidelity oh. to the bubble, I like that. Yep, stay in your bubble. <laughs> anyway, talk Kinda about... Kind of like stay in your lane. <laughs> oh my gosh. Anyway, talk about the hockey. <laughs> no, it's just that he, he kind of talked a little bit about how... You know, Minnesota and hockey. And people got pretty wound up because hockey got, you know, kind of shut down with a lot of things. But there was an enormous amount of outbreaks in the hockey in Minnesota. And and why? Mm. Mm. Probably a bunch of things. <laughs> and then his analogy at the end, which took a minute to build, but it was it was interesting. And this goes back to the whole 
well, did you really die of COVID or did you die of the pneumonia later? Is it really related to COVID? Should it be counted as a COVID death? He describes this beautiful house surrounded by overgrowth and brush, and it's been really dry out, and it's been really hot out, and there's a lot of wind, and somebody lights a match, and everything just goes away, burns to the ground. And so COVID is kind of that match. Who knows where it was put, where it was placed, who cares, because... The match did it. The match did it, um, regardless of anything else. So why don't you talk about his closing message there, Kurt? Yeah, his closing message was really, um, you know, we're going to get through this. It's, everybody's going to have to kind of work together, but it's going to happen. And, you know, I think that how quickly or how slowly it goes is going to depend on how hard we all work at staying in our bubble. I just love that. Damage is the choice. How much yep. damage is done is the choice. It's kind of like parenting. Okay. You know. <laughs> and I think that was the end. Uh, he uh, agreed to come back in a few months. He did. So we'll pester him again to get back. He thinks that potentially if he comes back a third time, he might get everything right. But it appears he's been right a lot. Right. So So we'll let Battle Eggs take over with that. With a pandemic song. There's no such thing. I was like, I don't want a pandemic song. Do something happy. Okay. Happy. All right. Although I did, I did appreciate his message, though, with we'll get through this together, because that was a lot more optimistic and positive than I was anticipating but all right well thanks so much for listening have a good night